turn in your Bibles. I want to read two narratives to you. Let's look, look at Luke 5, and I'll read that narrative, and then I'll go to Matthew 4. Listen to what it says. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, this is quite an insulting piece of advice when you think of it. Christ was this itinerary teacher telling these professional fishermen how to catch fish. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Cured one problem, created another. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What's happening here is I am not talking to an ordinary fisherman. And he immediately became aware of his sinful condition. If this was just a fishing expert, I don't think this would do it, but He's, he's just, he's all of a sudden said, uh-oh, I'm in the presence of someone that might be God when you could tell fish when to get in the net. So he, he's aware of his sinfulness. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. We never read of Peter throwing a net around a bunch of men. Jesus had a different method. Now look at Matthew 4. The calling of the disciples, there's about three callings. Luke is probably the first, maybe the first. Matthew might be one, two, and then even after the resurrection, he, had, he caught them fishing again, had to send them out again. But pick up verse 18 of chapter 4, Matthew. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you pastors. Follow me, and I'll make you reverends, whoever that is. Follow me, and you won't ever catch anybody. What an assignment. I mean, all four men are fishermen. Uh, they know something about fishing. And all of a sudden, this calling, it's the weirdest calling. 
What if Christ came to your vocation? You're an engineer, a musician, some kind of professional. Follow me, and I'm going to teach you more than you've ever learned. And here, this analogy, and we're going to just go to school on the analogy today. Is he teaching you how to catch men? Have you learned yet? And so they, they leave their nets, and they begin to follow him. And different times they go back, go back. But he said, the assignment was, hang out with me, and I want to teach you how to reach people, how to catch people, how to have a people impact. And this is a part of following Christ. You learn to start having an impact so that you're capturing human beings for Christ. That's, if the analogy only goes, we're not catching men so we can cook them. Don't go too far here. Nor that we can skin them. You catch them, God will skin them. A lot of times people want me to clean up someone. I said, we try to catch the fish. We'll let God clean them up. And so here's something that's kind of uh, weird in theology. Is God self-sufficient? Think that through. Is there any unmet need in God that you and I meet? But I think sometimes we have that view of God. Oh, we better go and evangelize or God is going to be frustrated. Or it's kind of like a come to God's aid, come to God's rescue because he can't pull it off without us. It's a miracle he's pulling it off with us. That's the miracle. Because this all-sufficient God, and give you an example, Psalms 50. He told Israel, Israel, don't be bringing offerings to me like you're feeding me. Do I eat the blood of goats? And you read it in that psalm. Am I eating the flesh of bulls that you're bringing all these animals to me? Cut it out. If I were hungry, I wouldn't ask you. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. What he was telling them, in pagan religion, the gods were being fed by the worshiper. You bring a goat, and the picture was you feed the gods, and the gods will bless you. So Israel was falling into this, let's feed God. We've got to give him an offering here. To, let, let's give poor God an offering. Because, you know, he, he's miserable. Well, even creation account. You know, the reason God created you is he was lonely. Absurd. He's been dwelling with the Trinity, and everything was great till we came along. When he started creating, he started getting trouble. Angels rebel, man rebel. God said, you remember when it was really wonderful? Well, why did you do it? Hear me. 
God does not need us for anything. The amazing thing, are you ready? He wants you because he loves you. And he wants to share everything he's got with you. And when it comes to reaching people, giving money, service, it's like Acts 17 says, God can be served by no human hands. Acts 17, he's there talking to the Greeks about the unknown God. He said, by the way, I've got a God that's not served by human hands. And yet the Psalms tell us to serve the Lord with gladness, which is true. Number one, my service to God doesn't maintain him. Why then do you ask me to serve you? I want you to enter into a partnership with me where I'll put up the capital, I'll put up the resources, I'll put up the power, I'll sacrifice the son. I'd like you just to enter the partnership to dispense my love. I'll put up all the sacrifice. I'll put up everything. It won't cost you a dime. I don't need your help to redeem. I don't need your help for anything. I'm trying to bring you into a partnership. I want to share my love and life through you. I'm going to reach people, not by sending Jesus again, but by sending you. And I want you to dispense me what you receive. I'm just calling you to a partnership. Would you like to form one? Get in my yoke, he said in 1 Corinthians 1.9. He's called us to the fellowship of his son, and it's the word partnership. He, he just wants you for some weird reason because you're a pain in the neck a lot of times. Look at what he's put up with. Your wife can't hardly stand you. And then God, who's perfect. You don't think God sees you in the shower? That's so depressing, isn't it? When you're getting as old as some of us, you break all the mirrors. God wants you. He doesn't need you. Peter, James, John. Andrew, I'm going to teach you a new vocation in partnership with me, and I'm going to take you, and you're going to be my way of catching men for God. God could do it by himself, but he's chosen the means of using us. It's like this. Uh, will God supply all your needs? Let's say you're a farmer, and, and you quote the verse, God shall supply all my needs. Is that true? So I will therefore not sow. You don't need to sow. God said he'd meet all your needs. Right? And God says, Bozo, one of the ways I supply your needs is to give you the strength to sow a harvest. God won't mow your lawn for you. God doesn't give a harvest where you won't sow. God won't give a harvest where you will not water. You remember? We're God's workmen, and we sow, some sow, 
some water. We know only God makes things grow, but he doesn't make things grow that you never planted. What really grows with good is weeds, but not anything to feed you. In Syria, they're boiling grass right now because the population's starving. I saw it here the other night on the news, a man boiling grass. That's the only food. They're stealing cough syrup because they're hoping to get a little sugar in their children that are dying of malnutrition. So let's look at this. God, if you don't need me, what do you want me for? I want to form a partnership. Would you enter into me and let me teach you how to catch men for Christ? Now, I read a book, Master's Plan for Making Disciples by Wynne Arne. I'm quoting him. I'm quoting him. Reaching non-Christians is a low priority for most congregations. Uh, what do you mean? We want things nice for us. Uh, we want, you know, comfort. We want coffee. And, of course, in this church, you've got to have a donut. How do we ever have church without donuts? You know. Did they have this in the uh, catacombs? Not quite. So we got things so nice. I mean, the building's warm. There's many older people in this congregation, been with us from Holy Ghost Hall to a school to a terrible theater. In I mean, we have been in some dumps. Got to get an amen. If you were there, you'd say amen. amen. They were dumps. It's a miracle we exist. Reaching non-Christians is a low priority for most Christians. They're just not even on their radar. They're not even thinking of the loss. The biblical idea of lostness has nearly disappeared in most churches. Uh, Ray Comfort, he says that in most churches, you'll never hear the word sin, hell, guilt, or judgment. Sin, don't mention that. Don't make people feel bad. I come to church for a massage, not to feel guilty. You don't mention hell. That's that hellfire brimstone people that died there somewhere in Appalachia. We ain't into that. But we sure love Jesus, who talked more about hell than anybody. And did the most of anybody to keep you from going. Judgment, guilt, do, do you break the Ten Commandments? And if you ever watch Ray Comfort, he'll convince you you break them. Okay? So, lostness has, is off the radar. We don't even talk that if you die without Christ, you will perish, you go to hell, you're facing judgment. That, that environment, that kind of feeling is a thousand. In the seeker-sensitivity church life, everything is to be friendly, get them out of their car, park their car, give them a donut, get them coffee, sing short, short sermon. Do everything not to stumble any of these newcomers that may not be saved. That is much of the pressure. Most efforts that we do in evangelism are ineffective. Very few of them work. Uh, we tend today to focus on making a decision for Christ rather than following Christ for life. When did you get saved? Well, I made a decision for Christ in 1901. Have you followed him since? No. 
No, that's not conversion. You follow Christ for life. So, number one, sermon, three things I want to look at. To be a follower of Christ is to be a fisher of men, number one. Two, I just asked this question. Are you fishing for the lives of people in your life? Are you fishing? Thirdly, let me give you some fishing lessons from a non-fisherman. Since I don't know hardly anything about it, but I'll tell you some things just by analogy. Uh, are you following Christ? That would mean you're learning how to love people, care for people, trying to win people with the gospel, and then it becomes a way of life. Do you think Peter was a natural people person? Well, I think if you wanted a karate chop, he would be. Don't mess with this boy. He carries a sword and uses it. Even when they're arresting the Savior, he's chopping off ears. He wasn't fishing for men. He was chopping off ears. No, 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 no. These were rugged men. These were outdoorsmen. I don't think people touch was their issue. I talked to my brother Paul one time about people management. He said, hey, I wasn't ever taught people management. I worked for iron workers. And they don't ask you to be friendly. They ask you to get it built. They don't ask you all this stuff. They say, we want this bridge. We're going to go up three stories this week. Are you, can you do it? And you can't tie off. Do it. We're not asking you to pass a personality test. And you folks in blue-collar trades know a little bit about it. We're paying you to do a job, and we don't care if you brush your teeth. Get it done. And then you come into other vocations, and you've got to manage people, and that's a whole different set of skills. And some people say, I can't stand to be around people. I love God, I just can't stand people. Well, that should not be the combination, right? He's going to teach us how to fish for men. Then, number two, are you fishing for the lives of people? Three simple things I would say. Number one, to fish, you must do it. Isn't that profound? I don't want to be too deep today. To fish is a doing activity. You don't read books on it, you do it. Do you fish? Tell me, where are you fishing for men now in your life? Where are you doing it? Not that you know Christ teaches you to do that. Two, this is really profound. To fish, you must go to where the fish are. They don't come to where you are. You've got to go to where they are. And that's why. See, I do most of my fishing here in the aquarium. You know, I'm trying to get the deacon saved again. It makes me look good. When I used to preach on the road, I always had Carolyn be the first one to come forward. So I'm getting results. Now, now this isn't the, 
Or, or people get this attitude. Man, I'm going to bring them to church. Phil, you lead them to Christ. I'm bringing my neighbor. You better preach a good one this Sunday. You better be on the gospel. I'm going to bring you to land the fish. I thought you were the fisherman. Why did you just try? I don't know your neighbor. What is that? Are they like you? I don't know anything. You're the fisherman, not me. I got a fish in my fish pond. I'm talking to fellow fishermen, am I not? Any fisherman? Three. Okay. Uh, we all ought to be fishermen. And you ought to be bringing in the catch once in a while, just showing us off. And say, Look what we caught for Jesus. That'd be wonderful. And this, this is simple and profound. Fishing is more than owning a boat or owning all the equipment. You know, for years I lived next door to a neighbor, and you know what he owned and looked great? was an RV. Everybody needs an RV. Guess how often he used it? I think at least every two years he went on a trip. My brother-in-law used to go set out in his when it was raining. You know, put out $35,000 so you can have a place to just stay out of the rain. You know, you need that diversion. You can own all the equipment. You can have all the notes in the world. I read 15 books on the spiritual life and evangelism, and you're still shining your boat, but you're not fishing. I know Christians that want another seminar, another lesson. I want more and more knowledge, more and more knowledge. Are you catching? Are you even fishing? No. Well, now I'm going to tell you some lessons for fishing. Number one, know when to fish. Recently, I took my brother Paul. I'm not a fisherman. I don't, I don't want to handle sardines. I don't want to handle the bait. I, I'm not into that stuff. Uh, I was going to go take my brother Paul because he loves to fish. His legs are going on him, and Carolyn's cousin has a great boat, Bethel Island. Set it all up. Paul's boy, Marty, happened to be with him. Larry wouldn't go for if his life counted on it. He's not a fisherman. Uh, but Marty and Jeff, his two boys, they are fishermen. So we go, and Chip says, I know the place to go. I've got the boat. He's got one of these radars that tells you where the fish are. Yeah, he can say, hey, look at that. There they are. Man, it's come a long ways from Oklahoma, let me tell you. Just a little pond in the back. No, he knew, he knew the places. He fishes nearly every night, this chip. And uh, he said, well, this is an evening fish. What's an evening fish? Or this is a morning fish. Morning. I didn't know he kept hours. Uh, oh, you got to be, the tide's got to be in on this, got to be out. Oh, all this, I just throw the hook in and catch something. That's why I've never caught anything. And you got to know when to fish. And, and a part of that, now, now just kind of humble yourself to learn these basic country lessons. You've got to know where to fish. And there's a lot of fishermen that will not tell you where they're catching them. Anybody know that? 
No, no, this is the secret. This is like the family heirloom. We've got a place where they fight all the time. And Chip took us out to this place, and Paul was there, and Marty, and me. And, and they, they said, oh, you've got to fish. I don't want to fish. I'll read the Bible while you guys fish. No, no, they hooked it up, put the live bait. We had to catch the live bait before they caught it, had that thing on there. Here's a pole. How do you do it? I, I've never fished as an adult. Throw it, man. I don't know which guy caught in the ear, but anyway, uh, you know, I don't know anything. And uh, we're out there, and Marty's catching them left and right. And uh, Chip is managing the boat. Poor Paul didn't catch anything. And he's the one I took. I wanted him to get the fish. I caught one, believe it or not. It's a mirror. Closed my eyes, threw it. Poof. There it was. Uh, got a picture. It's on Facebook. Look, I'm there. <laughs> I am the big fisherman. It, but it's a matter of when and where, and we're depending on Chip. He knew the place. He fishes there nearly every night up in the Delta. He knows that water. Man, he's been there ever since he's a kid. And I, I read a chart sometime ago. I was going to give it to you, but it's so dark. We couldn't reproduce it. But let me tell you something about human fish, about when it's great time to fish in their life. Uh, you know the hardest people in the world to reach for Christ? A rich man. Jesus said it's nearly impossible. Ron Johnson, when he wanted to start a church, he went to La Morinda. I said, it's going to be the hardest place you've ever tried in your life to start a church. I said, they don't need anything over there. They just need a good lawyer so they can beat taxes. They're wealthy people. I talked to Assembly of God church planners. I talked to other church. They said, we've tried, and we've never been successful. We can't get, we can't get a beachhead. One Presbyterian church for the area between Walnut Creek Press and the other church over in the Orinda area. Just can't get a foothold. You got to have money. Yeah, we're doing good. Who did Jesus say would receive him the easiest? The poor. Why have people become harder to reach? They've got so much. They're insulated from needing God. Because if you can take care of felt needs, I don't need God. I need money, a good place, good car, good woman, good kids, good education. What do I need God for? Listen to this. The top of this uh, chart, you just bear with me, I'll pick things. The top of the chart of stress, this is a stress chart, 100% stress comes when you have the death of a spouse. So Jane Lane just lost her husband. Bev Malin lost her husband. Noreen lost her husband. Uh, Pam White lost her husband. Now, if they did not know Christ, if these sisters didn't know Christ, it would be a prime time to come and evangelize them. Prime time. My mother came to Christ after two boys died. She was, she was in pain. She was aching. A great time. And two Assembly of God women led her to Christ. Do you have anyone in your life burying loved ones? 
Uh, seven, the next one is divorce. Do you know anyone that's divorced? Out of five people, let's say, let, let's just say you went to the store and you met five people, age, let's make it 45. How many of those five do you think have been divorced? Hmm? Two? Three? First service said three. That's 60% of people you meet will have already been divorced. Did you know that divorce is stress, pain for the children? For, nobody wins in divorce. Everybody suffers. Right? They're in pain, guilt, shame. What could I have done different? All of those questions. Would it be a good time for you to show up and cast your hook with good news for a broken heart? I'm fishing for you. And they said, I need good news from somewhere because I'm drowning in the news I've been getting. My wife's left me for another man. You got any gospel for that? Yeah, we do. Jesus can enable you to forgive her, receive his forgiveness, and begin all over. Could you take that good news? See, we don't know when to fish. Uh, listen to these other things on the stress chart. Uh, it goes down, marriage problems, fired from work, retirement. That was sort of funny to me. 45% stress problem from retirement. I've been living through this with my wife. Not really. It's been wonderful. The meals are great. But I remember the Rosses. When Phil and Luella were in this church, Phil Ross worked, uh, I don't know, Phil might have worked till he was 70, but he finally retired. And one day Luella was talking to Carolyn. She said, this retirement is stressful on our marriage. I thought, man, they've been married forever. How could that be stressful? She said, I have a routine. I have a certain day I do the wars. I have a way I do things, and he just gets in the way. <laughs> just gets in the way. That's, when da that's why when David retired, he started working at the church. Fran went him out of the house. <laughs> Not quite, but you know, space. It's a lot of stress for a lot of people. Seems weird, but that's what they say. Change of financial status is called going from a job to no job. Uh, loans, it's at a mortgage or loan, this seems way overdue here, of $10,000. That seems a pittance in our day. Trouble with the boss, not your wife, the boss. Uh, change in schools. Change in sleeping habits. The 11% one was minor violation of the law, which in my house is going 70. But you know and I know that's no violation. That's Christian liberty. Um, can I get an amen? Okay. Uh, when to fish? When to fish? First of all, do you fish? I had a picture uh, in a book sometime back. No, I think it was a, some video presentation on evangelism. And it shows this guy in his boat. 
He's got, he's dressed for the fish, and I mean, that hat, he looks good. And he's doing all this talking in an interview about fishing. And what's an amazing thing, you're watching this, you say, wow, he's doing it. And as they took the camera and they went back, he was sitting in his boat in his driveway. And he was just giving advice on fishing like I'm doing. And, you know, he never got in the water. And uh, I think what we're going to find in our Oikos Bible study is going to tell us places you can go fishing. It's going to give you fishing holes that you can fish from and the most likely. I've just been amazed of late. I, I keep having a, a little guy in my life. That's a great-grandson that's six years old. I can't get him off my heart because I don't think he knows the Lord. Should I fish for him? Or should I say, tell the children's ministry to reach him? Tell the children's pastor to reach him? Who's reaching your grandchildren? Especially when their mom and dad aren't Christians. Who reaches the children of the children that are unsaved. Do we just lose them? I think the thing you need to ask, number one, when to fish, where to fish. Three, what kind of bait do you use? What, what's our bait? Now, you're dumber than the first, con first service. I hear no answer. What's the bait? The gospel. Duh. Would you know how to share the good news with somebody if you went next to a man that his wife just died with a stroke and said, sir, I know, not start telling me sinner. And, would you like to know how you can have eternal life? Hey, I'm, I'm broken. Will I ever see her again? Do you think that question would come up with a guy that's an alcoholic? Do you think he would still be intelligent enough to ask that question? Will I ever see her again? Yeah, I think you'd ask that. Give me some hope, preacher. The Fernandes family. Steve told me when their dad died in his early 60s from a brain tumor, never knew that Stephen would die from a brain tumor. But when he went to the priest, they could give him and Susie and Matt no hope. It was dismal. He said, I don't know where your dad is. I don't know where he went. Steve said, I never went back. For at the time of death in my family, there was no hope given from the church. Can you give anybody hope when they're burying one of their loved ones? Hector Alcar was here the first service today. Broken man. It's not easy to bury a 12-year-old daughter. What hope would you give him? Do we have any gospel? Do we have any good news for people? Suffering from the consequences of sin? Yeah. Now, here's the problem at times. The bait doesn't get to people unless it's put on a, and you're the hook. You're the hook. And we don't want the fish to see the hook. We want them to be drawn to the bait. And some hooks turn away the fish. 
Are you following? Yeah. Uh, uh, what's on display? This big, long, sharp object, and that's your personality? Or is the good news, are you covered in good news? They know if you love their soul. They know if Jesus, you know what? It's hard to capture people with something that's making you miserable. Howard Hendricks, who was bald, he said, it's hard to sell hair restoring oil when you're bald. You don't get it. It dents. Wake up, sir. We gave you coffee. The gospel ought to be clothing us, and we're the human agency to get out there, but that fish doesn't want a hook. He wants the bait. Can people see Christ and good news in us? Are you bringing good news? Are you the dismal reporter of Fox News? ISIS is moving in any moment. Yeah, I know it. And besides that, Hillary's probably going to get it. I thought I'd encourage it. And I'm not hurt Trump. Aren't you happy? Is that the only news you've got? I thought we had good news for Republicans and Democrats. Both. And it ain't some politician, honey. We're not hardly running anything worth voting for. Don't want to show you where I am. But the gospel, it's good in every season, in every administration. The gospel is what saves a nation. The gospel. And you're the hook. You take it. And I don't know if this is true. I think if you broke it down, you could probably disprove it. But I like the way it sounds. We seldom win people to God that we can't win to ourselves. I don't know. You can be a pretty obnoxious person, still lead someone to the Lord, but it doesn't fit. It, it, it's living contradiction. Are you a hook that the gospel's on so that you become an ambassador for Christ and, and, and you're... Your main goal is not to gripe about what's wrong with Valley. Well, why tell people what's wrong with this church? And this latest scandal we've been living through, hey, folks, God is going to protect us, and the truth will be known ultimately. God will vindicate the truth and will vindicate that we did the right and we were not in a cover-up and we were not hiding a sin. We didn't know a thing about it for six months until after the person was arrested. We are not in cover-up. You hear me? We don't cover up. We expose sin because God won't bless where you're in a cover-up. And you hold every elder, deacon, and officer say, did you know? And we did not, and we're in shock. But let me tell you, the gospel will overcome bad publicity. The gospel will overcome. The gospel will overcome. Well, I just have to wrap up with saying this. Uh, if you're going to be a fisherman, you need these attitudes. And I'll go quickly. You need patience. That's why I've not pursued fishing. If they're not biting at 30 minutes, we wasted our time. But you've got to be patient. 
My brother Paul used to fish out in the bay, and he used to say, isn't this wonderful? And I'm freezing as a kid right there on the breaks, you know, down there by Richmond Yacht Harbor, south side. Man, the water's splashing over, the tide's coming. Man, this is great. I said, great? I'm building a fire. I'm freezing. <laughs> I didn't have any patience to fish. That's a lazy man's sport. <laughs> but keep on. Perseverance. You've got to keep on. Keep on. Wait till they bite. Well, for so many years, I could have had jaws on there, and I wouldn't have felt the tug. I didn't know what I, what, what am I supposed to feel? Dummy, you don't feel anything. Dress for the weather. All fishing weather isn't nice. It's like a good golfer. I've golfed with David where we wore raincoats. Is that crazy? Sure was fun. Uh, courage. Sometimes fishing, especially if you go to the Bering Straits, is a little dangerous. Would you venture out into the water? I just read this week about the martyrdom of Jim Elliott, Net Saint. Kind of a dangerous area to be fishing down in Ecuador and Aka Indians. They're dangerous, the fishing. They never came back. What will get the fish's attention? Pain, usually. Bad news. Here, Van, I mean, just last week, his brother's visiting a sick mother and dies while he's visiting the mother. How old was your brother? 52. Carolyn's got a uh, cousin, pastors over in Brentwood. Jonathan G. Carolyn is a G related to a long list of family members that are preachers and pastors. 51, 98% he has pancreatic cancer. He'll be gone in a matter of weeks if God doesn't undertake. And he's in the middle of pastoring and getting guys from underpasses and trying to get them off of drugs and lead them. He's fishing for men, and he became a druggie. And he said, I'm going to go fish for a drug guy. He goes, been going to San Francisco twice a month to go down the tenderloin with Francis Chan where everybody's poor, vomit, or urine on them, and he goes fishing for those that are at the lowest scale because he thinks there's a fish out there like him at one time that God could save. And all my fishing is done in this aquarium. I'm hoping Oikos changes my life too because I spend all my time in fishing. And people say, well, you be, it better be a good sermon Sunday. I'm bringing them to the aquarium. And no one bites. You know why you don't bite? Most of you are saved. I think. <laughs> Let's go fishing. Let's go fishing.